This is Soul to Soul on 101.9 IFM. And welcome back to Soul to Soul. I'm Rabbi Ari Kievman. Great being with you here on this auspicious day, just before our holiest day of the year, Yom Kippur. And I'm Rabbi Ari Kievman. Great being with you here this Erev Yom Kippur. And as we're getting ready for this most auspicious day, holiest day on the Jewish calendar, a day when we're closest to God and to the essence of our own souls. Yom Kippur means literally... Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement. And the verse clearly in the Torah says, Ki bayom For on this day, God will forgive you, to purify you, from all your sins, you will be cleansed, you will be purified before God. And lest I would like to offer a warning there, the verse says, for all sins committed against God, God forgives us. But if I did something wrong to you, then you're the one who needs to forgive me. I can't ask God to forgive me for something I have offended you personally with. It's an important message for Yom Kippur because just like we want God to be forgiving of us, we should be forgiving of others. But we should also make that effort in this day and a couple of hours left till the Day of Atonement begins to make amends, to reach out to those who we may have offended in the past year, to reach out to those who we need to forgive, perhaps, and to call them. So we have a couple of, what do I say, 28 hours left till Yom Kippur begins. Yom Kippur starts at 5.48 p.m. tomorrow. So basically, it starts tomorrow evening, and this is the time right now for us to make amends to our fellow human beings. Yom Kippur will, God will forgive us for the things we've done wrong to God. But it's important for us to reach out to our fellow human beings now and to ask for their forgiveness for the things we may have done wrong to them. And, of course, we all know that there's five ways we we observe Yom Kippur. I'm sure that was touched on yesterday in Rabbi Katz's show, but just to remind you very quickly, no food or drink, no conjugal relations, no no uh, smearing ourselves with any ointments, and no leather shoes for these 25-plus hours of Yom Kippur. Now, the history of Yom Kippur is something interesting that I'm not sure everyone is aware about. And in fact, we were learning something very fascinating at our Chabad Seniors Club earlier and this is a, a very powerful lesson the Gemara talks about. In fact, it's Rabbi Akiva, the great sage who we read about. He's one of the Asara Haruge Malchus, one of the ten martyrs that we commemorate during the Avoda service on Yom Kippur afternoon in the middle of the Musaf. Rabbi Akiva has a very famous teaching. And in fact, we, we recall it. Amar Rabbi Akiva, Ashrechem Yisrael. We're going to read this on Simchas Torah as we our winding up, their conclusion of the entire Torah and our commencement, renewal, starting from the beginning of Bereshus, of Genesis. Rabbi Akiva says, Praised are you, Israel. I'm sure you've heard this song played here on Chai FM by Shweki many times. Right? Before whom are you purified? And who is the one who purifies you? Avichem Shabbat our Father in Heaven. And then he makes a very interesting comparison. He says, Ma mikva matara tatameim. Just like a mikvah purifies the impure, Afakadash baruchu matara Israel, so too does God purify Israel. And our sages ask 
a very obvious question. What is the meaning that a mikvah purifies the impure? I mean, when I immerse in the mikvah, don't I become pure? And without getting into the entire treatise and the lengthy discussion in the Talmud, but there's different types of impurity. Some impurities require, set, for example, touching a corpse, a human corpse. is a seven days of impurity that I actually cannot ascend or enter the temple mount to go into the temple when it stood. So that's one type of impurity. Other impurities, for example, touching a weasel, just lasts for a day. What if I did both? Well, the Talmud rules that I can actually enter purification for the single day impurity, even though I remain impure still for another six days for my other impurity. And this, I think, teaches us a very novel, powerful lesson for Yom Kippur. And that is, we may not become saints, tzaddikim overnight, even though the congregation, the Hebrew word for community is tzibur. And tzibur, congregation, is comprised of three letters. We have tzaddik, which is tzaddikim, the righteous, the pious. There's a few... There's a few in between in, in the shul, although Prakyavat does tell us that if you have the right perspective, you'll see how everyone truly is good, pious, righteous. The second letter is Bez, Benunim, the average person. And then you have Urshaim, the third, fourth letter, Urshaim, that means the wicked. In the community, we have all three personalities. In a sense, I always remind myself when we talk about the four children at the Seder table. You have the wise son, the wicked son, the ambiv- the, the ambivalent son, the one who doesn't even know how to ask. And in a sense, we possess all these personalities in our side ourselves as well. It reminds me about the Jew who came back to Helm from Lithuania, he went to visit Vilna, and Chelm was a city in Poland. They asked him, Nu, tell us, Yankel, what did you experience there in Vilna, in the big city? He says, you wouldn't believe it. I went into the shul, and there I saw a Jew who was so fervently religious, ultra-extremist orthodox. And then I met a Jew who was reformed, and another Jew who was conservative. I met a Jew who was religious, another Jew who wasn't religious, a Jew who was a Zionist, an anti-Zionist. I met a Jew who was an atheist. I met a Jew who was a communist. I met a Jew who was a socialist and a capitalist. And they're describing all these different types of Jews he met. It's a big deal, Yankel. We have all these types of Jews here in Chelm as well. Yankel says, you don't understand. This was one Jew. He had all these personalities. No wonder why this guy, whenever he goes to any place, he asks for a group discount. They say, where's the group? He says, oh, do you know how many personalities there are in here? You know, when he stopped saying this, that happened to me. I used to use that excuse. They say, okay, we'll charge you for each of those personalities with a group discount. Oh, then you don't really want to be such split personality. But all jokes aside, the message, of course, is that we have all these personalities. Sometimes we're better. Sometimes we're not as good as we ought to be. And like my father always would often remind me if I did something that he didn't approve of, he would say, he would chastise me gently saying, as pastnish, it's unbecoming of you. We expect better of you. You know, when a prince doesn't behave in certain behavior, certain activities are just unbecoming of certain personality, certain characteristics. It's just not the way one should behave. 
And I think Rabbi Akiva was teaching us a very important and powerful lesson. He says, just as the mikvah purifies the impure, I might still be impure. I can't go into the temple because I have another impurity that's preventing me to go for the next six days. But nevertheless, God purifies my previous impurity. And this is the Talmud telling us, Rabbi Akiva teaching, and especially coming from a man like him who was a Baal Teshuvah himself. We all know the famous story how it took, till he was 40, completely unversed, illiterate. The man was 40 years old, 20 years after the temple's destruction, because Rabbi Akiva was born in the year 50 of the Common Era and passed away in the year 135. He was 85 years old when the Romans tortured him to death. He had a late start. He had only 45 years of being the great scholar teacher who Rabbi Akiva resulted in. But even though 40 years of not knowing anything, of complete illiteracy, and yet he became such a great giant, he was a man who knew. And this man said, Judaism, for God, it's not an all or nothing proposition. It's not do everything or nothing. You're not a hypocrite if you go to Shul Yom Kippur and you don't go any other Shabbases of the year. Even though your rabbi is going to tell you at Shul, ah, it would be so lovely to see you a little more often. Yes, that's true. It would be lovely to see you more often. But that doesn't make you a bad Jew if you just came Yom Kippur. At least you're coming. It's so nice that at least you did come on Yom Kippur. And that's the perspective Rabbi Akiva teaches. Rabbi Akiva teaches Every step you take in a positive direction on the ladder of right of on the ladder of life, it doesn't matter which rung you're at. What's important is the direction in that in which you're heading. And therefore, it's important to internalize and to realize this message and one you should share with your family and friends. Of course, Judaism wants you to grow just like you want your bank account to grow. We have to constantly be personally developing ourselves. We want to, we need to but not to underestimate the growth, even if it's coming in strides, even if it's not a quantum leap, because who's to judge what is a quantum leap and what isn't? To quote the famous words of Armstrong, which is one small step for man, but one huge leap for mankind. Every step we take in a positive direction, that is worthwhile. And to God, that is indispensable, it is invaluable, it is tremendous. And therefore, Rabbi Akiva teaches us this beautiful, powerful lesson. What does he say? Just like, even if I'm not completely religious yet, and everyone, even the greatest of rabbis, have plenty more to grow and to learn and to do. But nevertheless, God loves the steps you have taken. It's not all or nothing. So yes, you might be sort of keeping kosher at home. Don't feel like a hypocrite just because you don't keep kosher out of the home. I'm not advocating that you shouldn't keep kosher out of your home. Ideally, it would be lovely if every Jew kept Shabbos in the fullest sense of how Shabbos should be observed. But if a person is making, is taking steps and growing and personally developing in more ways than one, that is amazing. That is fantastic. And we applaud it. It is great. That is what you ought to do. And that is what Rabbi Akiva is teaching us, a very important and powerful lesson. And it takes the lesson one step further because the Gemara tells us this analogy Rabbi Akiva is using of a mikvah. What is the measurement of water? How much water is necessary inside a mikvah? There's an ancient measurement called lug. The Talmud says a mikvah has to be 960 lugim. Well, 960 lug, our sages tell us, corresponds to 960 hours. Let's do some quick maths. 960 hours is how many days, Fuse? How many days? 
40 days. 40 days is 960 hours. And this is something, an important message, because we know that after the Jews received the Torah at Mount Sinai on the 17th of Thomas when Moses was coming down, that's the year 2448 from creation. We're talking about 1313 before the Common Era. And if I could do, if I have my maths correct, if we're looking at today being, today being 5778, and this happened in the year 2448. So we're talking about 3,330 years ago. 3,330 years ago. When Moses was coming down the mountain from Mount Sinai. And the Jews betrayed God. They worshipped a golden calf. This is the ultimate act of infidelity. And so that is when Yom Kippur became necessary. Because God wanted completely to do away with the Jewish people. But Moses beseeched and he begged God and he says the words we're going to recite in our prayers tomorrow evening. He begs God, he says, you should please forgive, please pardon to the entire community of Israel and all the strangers, all those who live amongst us because human nature, the way you've created us as finite mortal homo sapiens is that we are going to commit sins. We're not proud. We're not happy that we commit sins, but it's part of human nature. We do that and we'll be right back. This is Soul to Soul on 101.9 IFM. Ladies and gentlemen, we were talking before about this fascinating analogy that Rabbi Akiva uses for the purification that Yom Kippur affords every Jew. And he uses the analogy of a mikvah. We said a mikvah is the measurement of 960 lug. 960 lug corresponds to 960 hours, which is 40 days. Where do we get 40 days? Well, we all know that Moshe ascended. He went up the mountain, Har Sinai, Mount Sinai, and he prayed to God to forgive us. Like I told you just before our commercial break, he begged, he beseeched God to forgive the Jewish people. And what happens after 40 days up on the mountain, finally, with full divine favor obtained, the day Moses comes down, 40 days after Rosh Chodesh Elul, what day was that? That is the day of atonement, the day of Yom Kippur. And Moshe comes down and he says, Hashem, Bayomar Hashem, God said, Salachti Kidvaracha. I have pardoned the people like you have requested. And of course, we're going to recall this tomorrow evening in our prayer service. And this is exactly what we said before we should be doing to others. So God grants that forgiveness to us by us being forgiving of others. As the verse explicitly says, God will only forgive you for the things we betrayed God with. But that year, the people built their tabernacles, which we, the, the sukkahs, which we commemorate. And that was the center. Um, the people built their, excuse me, I'm, I'm confusing two different things in my head. One is I'm talking about the Mishkan, the sanctuary, the tabernacle that the Jewish people built. That was the center for our prayers and, of course, for the sacrificial offerings. And the services in the Mishkan, in the tabernacle, it climaxed on Yom Kippur when the Kohen Gadol, the high priest, he would perform a very specially prescribed service as we're going to read about in the Torah reading on Shabbos, on Yom Kippur itself. And highlights of that service, 
the ultimate highlight of that service, in fact, was the ketoret, the incense offering that was brought into the Kodesh HaKadoshim, into the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was. And, of course, there's also the service of the two goats, and one that would go to Azazel, and the other was offered as a sacrifice. These are certain highlights of the Yom Kippur service, but I think there's a very important and profound message when we talk about the Qataris, because as much as we talk about sacrifice, bringing karbanot, we offered sacrifices in the temple. Where were those sacrifices offered? On the outside altar. And I'd like to draw a very interesting parallel again, and a powerful, important lesson, a message we could all take with us on this Yom Kippur. You see, the etymology of the word karban, sacrifice, is karov, to come close. And you could think about a relationship, you're courting somebody, dating. There's one aspect of a relationship is karov, getting close to the other person, getting to know each other. And that requires sacrifice. It requires sacrifice of time. You got to take off work early, perhaps. You got to be willing to drive, you know, to take the person and to spend some money on dinner and, and buy nice gifts for one another. That is courtship. You get close to each other. It's karov. But even as close as one gets, as fond as one is of another, you could even think of an employee and employer relationship as close as it might be. There's still a certain implied distance because you're only close. As much as we sacrifice for one another, that is just a close relationship. But a much deeper relationship is the one of Ketoret. The Ketoret, the incense, was offered on the te- the altar that was inside the temple, the Mizbeach Hazav. It was inside the sanctuary. And that was not an animal that was sacrificed. It was incense that was brought. The incense creates this amazing aroma, beautiful flavors that you were able to smell throughout the area. And the etymology of the word Ketoret is related to the word that means a knot. When one is tied as a knot, when two things are tied together to each other, in a marriage, when a couple are married, they tie the knot. This is an inextricable relationship. It is something that cannot be separated. You're not just close to each other, but you're intimately bound with one another. And that, I think, is another powerful message and lesson we could learn about Yom Kippur. Because on Yom Kippur, this is the one day of the year when we are closest to God, but not just close to God. It's a day when we become so close and tight. You don't even see the faults of your spouse when you're so close with each other. There's no, it's not a carbon. It's not like animal sacrifices where you smell unpleasant fragrances or whatever you call from the animals, but you don't even see flaws. Incense is so pleasant of an aroma. The fragrance is so delightful. You can't even taste something that's unbecoming. And that's Yom Kippur. It's the day God forgives us. It is a powerful day. And all the more so with Yom Kippur being this year on on Shabbos. Because as Rabbi Levi Yitzchak of Bardichev, he taught a very important message. He always, always liked these, he always liked to always see the positive in everything. And when Shabbos Yom Kippur coincided, when he would have this amazing calm to him, and he explained that it's known that we're commanded not to write. We can't use a writing instrument on Shabbos. It's a desecration of the holy day. So he said, the only time you can write is in a 
life-threatening situation. If you're going to save someone's life, then of course you're allowed to write. As a Hatzalah paramedic, that's the only time we break Shabbos is to save a life. And therefore he says, God could only write us in for a good year. God could only write for us in a positive way that something that could save our life. So surely, as Rabbi Levi Yitzchak said, we would be blessed and inscribed and sealed for a year that's filled with good health, physically, spiritually, in all ways, because the only thing God could write for is to help save us, to protect us, but certainly not to write for a negative report for the year. This is Soul to Soul on 101.9 FM. I think we explored some fascinating aspects about Yom Kippur, and I hope you guys enjoyed today's discussion. I hope you learned something, a thing or two, talked about the concept of the mikvah purifying, and it's not at all a nothing proposition. We talked about the concept that Moses spent 40 days up on Mount Sinai begging God for our forgiveness, and by us being forgiving of others, please God will merit God to be forgiving of us. Remember, when you are at shul tomorrow, that God doesn't carry an iPhone, even the newest one, or even an Android, but God is always on call. And even though he has billions of callers, God never puts you on hold. He doesn't have a Facebook profile, but if you turn to him, God will be a loyal friend. He doesn't have a Twitter account, but millions follow him. You talk to him when you want, because God has got instant message. Did you know that? He's got instant message. You don't need a Bing search for him, and you don't use Google Translate when talking to him because he connects to those who don't even know that he, what internet is or even know who God is. So when we go to shul tomorrow, we just connect with God in a most personal way. And just to conclude with a few important reminders about Yom Kippur and the era of Yom Kippur, which begins already this evening. There's Kaparas, which is performed in the wee hours tomorrow morning. They will be having Kaparas chickens all at Torah Academy from 5 a.m. to 7 a.m. You don't want to miss that. There's a beautiful custom that we request and receive a piece of honey cake. We'll be doing it at our Santin Central Shul this afternoon where we give lekach, honey cake, sweet cake, that if God forbid there was any decree in heaven that we need to be recipients during the year, then it should be fulfilled by us requesting honey cake and being blessed with a sweet leka year. So come for some leka lekach. Tomorrow it's important to eat, even though on Yom Kippur, starting tomorrow evening from 5.48 p.m., we don't eat at all. No eating, no drinking, and all the other customs that we mentioned earlier. But nonetheless, tomorrow it's important to eat and to eat plenty. Now, don't stuff your face that you're going to be vomiting and sick during Yom Kippur. But it's important to eat two festive meals tomorrow, one in the early afternoon and another right before the commencement of the fast. A lot of people have a custom of immersing in a mikvah, especially before mincha tomorrow. So there's three times one immerses a mikvah tomorrow. Once would be in the morning as usual, the second time before mincha, and a third time just before the fast begins. Although you may not have a mikvah at your house, there's beautiful mikvahs in Johannesburg for men. There's the Maharsha mikvah. There is the mikvah at Torah Academy. And there is the Sydney men's mikvah, uh, or maybe it's a ladies' mikvah. And there's another mikvah. I think there is a men's mikvah here in Sydney as well. And I'm sure some of the ladies' mikvahs might be open. Contact your shul to find out if it's open for men's use tomorrow. 
couple other things that we do in our last two minutes remaining here is giving lots of extra charity. In fact, special charity trays are usually set up in the shuls tomorrow at Mincha time when we recite the Al-Khait prayer. And it's said that the clinging of all the coins is somehow confusing to the Satan. And we hope whatever it is that it accomplishes, it is something that brings us blessing. And by us being generous, we should afford to be generous year round so God would be generous with us. Just before the fast begins, I'm talking after the second meal's already been concluded, there is a custom, one that, of course, if you are with your children, to bless your children, and we use the priestly blessing. This is called Birchat Habanim, the blessing of our children. In addition to that, if or beside for that, if you cannot bless your children for any reason, there's a geographic distance. For example, my father is a couple of thousand kilometers away in the in New York. So I call my father and he grants me that special blessing over the phone. And if your children are distant, then it would be nice, firstly, to gap the distance. There shouldn't be any kind of distance between us and our loved ones. But if it's a geographic distance, then certainly to call our children and to wish them a good yamtiv, and to bless them, and to be there with them. I wish all our Chai FM listeners, and all Jews everywhere in the world, wherever you might be, that we experience a meaningful and not difficult Yom Kippur fast. And although Yom Kippur is indeed a solemn day, but remember, it is an undercurrent of joy, of celebration. We have to realize that we're going to be forgiven for our sins, and that's certainly something to be happy and joyous about, a verdict for a year of life, health, and happiness. And so when we finish the holiday, we finish with songs of joy and celebration. And I wish you a meaningful good Yom Tev, a happy and joyous and meaningful Yom Kippur, and just be happy because you know that you've got the right verdict. Chag Sameach, Shana Tova Metuka.